Welcome to the first season of Fluster Clucks, when we launched at the beginning of the pandemic as a mom's retreat. We're no longer stuck in our houses, but most of us feel stuck in our anxious patterns. I'm Lynn Lyons, an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. And I'm Robin, your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law. Parenting is a fluster clucks. And we'll help you find your way. Families figure out many ways to make sleep work. Sleep routines and practices have to do with family schedules and structure and family culture. We're not going to talk about the right way to manage sleep. We're going to talk about what happens when bedtime and sleeping are not working for you and how to create more peaceful bedtimes and smoother nights. Hi, Robin. Hi, Lynn. How are you? I'm good. It's a little chilly today. We're having a freakish winter blast in the middle of May. It is freezing here and I have not been outside all day, but it's also a pandemic, so I've been inside a lot. (laughs) Yes, me too. One of the things when people are having difficult times in general, like when people are depressed or when people are anxious, sleep is one of the first things to be interrupted. So even in non-clinical situations, like I'm not saying that people are depressed and anxious, but when something is disrupted in your life, it shows up in your sleep. So it's not surprising at all that people are feeling a little wonky about sleep. Not only are they wonky, but I started having very bizarre dreams when this began. Yeah. And I've read several articles that everyone is having very lucid, unusual dreams. Yeah. I just think that a lot gets worked out. Our sleep is very illustrative of other things that are going on. And so I think this is a great topic to talk about too. When we opened it up on our Facebook group and asked people if they had questions, we got a lot of responses. So for anybody who's listening and who's wondering whether or not the sleep issues that they're dealing with in their family are unique, the answer is no, they are not. I want to talk about the bedtime routine. Let's talk about younger kids first and the bedtime routine, because that can be a really stressful time for families. I know a lot of families, a lot of parents that talk about dreading bedtime because it is going to be a nightmare. It's going to be protracted. They know they're in for a battle. They're going to feel frustrated. And the tricky part about having problems at bedtime, of course, is because it's generally when you're less equipped to manage what your kids are throwing at you anyway, because your your mommy tank is a little bit on low. What becomes an issue is when parents have an expectation or they have a desire to tuck their kids into bed at night and maybe have some time for themselves. So they're going to put their kids to bed so that they can relax. They can have some time with their partner. They can watch whatever crappy TV show they want to watch and their child won't go to bed. And they have to go to sleep with their bed or uh, kid, or they lie down to fall asleep with their child or help their child fall asleep. And then they fall asleep and they wake up and their neck is crooked or there's just all that disruption that happens at bedtime. So I think that's a good thing to address because it's so common. One of the things that is important to know is that a lot of the techniques, and I'm going to talk about kids right now, actually, in particular, that are sort of worried and fearful about falling asleep. So there's a lot of anxiety, and that may be heightened now during this pandemic time, too, um, that they're worried. Maybe they used to be able to fall asleep on their own, and now they're not falling asleep on their own. So I'm going to talk about how it is that we can handle helping a child fall asleep in their bed in a way that doesn't feel so disruptive and exhausting for the parents 
and doesn't end up being this protracted two-hour experience because that's what I hear about a lot. What age range are you saying that this is relevant to? When kids probably are school age, so maybe like from four, and then it's certainly, it can go up until ages of like 10, 11, 12. I've had families come to see me and they're still dealing with this at the age of 14, which is definitely on the higher end, but sort of that range of between, let's say between the ages of like four to nine or four to 10 is pretty common. If you've got an anxious kid, then it really can keep going into, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14. But let's just talk about sort of what 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 I see for those ages. So what parents imagine, what their expectation is, is that it's nice to have a little bedtime routine. I used to love reading to my boys when they were little. So you, you play a game, you read a story, you have a nice little routine, and then parents want to be able to tuck their children in, sing them a little song if they're little or whatever, and then say goodnight and leave the room and have that child be able to go off to sleep in a a peaceful way. Um, And when parents get frustrated is when that can't happen for whatever reason. And they are trying very hard to make that happen, but they feel like they're in a power struggle or the child is getting up out of bed all the time, or they, as I said, they have to lie down and fall asleep with the child. So we got a great reader question that actually addresses this exactly. She's got a four-year-old still sleeping in their bed. Now look, some four-year-olds are still sleeping in the bed and parents are fine with that. Clearly this family isn't, so that's why I'm addressing it. My husband and I are not sleeping or having any time to ourselves. We know what that means. So she shares a room with her sister, the little girl, age nine. Always read to them at night. Lay with her in her bed until she falls asleep. So that's right where I'm starting to pay attention. Sometimes able to sleep out, uh, sneak out, but other times she wakes up, pops her eyes open, runs after her, etc. Tries to put her back into bed. She gets upset. She wakes up her sister. And then, of course, now every Everybody's awake and everybody's angry and everybody's frustrated. So here's what I would do with this little four-year-old. First of all, I would talk to her, and even though she's four, she can handle this conversation. I would talk to her about how when she falls asleep at night, there might be a little part of her, and it might be a worry part. You decide, mom, whether or not you think that's going to resonate with your four-year-old if you know that she's a worrier. So there's a little part that shows up that doesn't think that she knows how to fall asleep. And I would tell her, you know, look, and this is exactly what I tell the kids that I work with. I say, you know what? You, since you have been a little person, since the day you were born, you have been able to fall asleep. There hasn't been one day in your entire life that you haven't fallen asleep. And then sometimes I ask the mom or the dad who's there with me, is there a time, can you think of a time when your um, little person here fell asleep in kind of a funny way? And everybody always has a story. They fell asleep when they were in the middle of eating their spaghetti. I have a picture of my son, actually. He was crawling up the stairs and just halfway up the staircase, he just pooped out, just put his head down went to sleep on the stairs. So I really want to give the message to these kids that falling asleep is a natural process that you already know how to do. And so we're going to work on letting you do what your body and your brain already know how to do. You know, you don't have to tell your heart to beat. Your heart just goes about beating. You don't have to tell your toenails to grow. Your body knows how to do these things. So when you go down for sleep at night, We just have to remind you that your body knows how to do this. So mom, you give that little talk and then 
you say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have this nice routine with you. We're going to read a book. I'll rub your back for a few minutes. And then I'm going to go away. And I'm going to come back every, now depending on how old your child is, if your child is a little little four-year-old, it might be five minutes. If it's an older child, it might be 10 minutes. I'm going to come back every fill-in-the-blank minutes. And I'm just going to stand at the door. And I'm just going to check in and see how you're doing. Now, you may not say anything. You don't want to go back into the room. You don't want to re-engage and do the whole ritual over again. But you just want to let them know you're there. Because a lot of times when we're helping kids learn how to fall asleep, one of the things that parents push back against, and I agree with the pushing back against this, is that they are worried that their child is going to feel like you are rejecting them or abandoning them. And we never want a little child to feel that way. So you say, I'm going to come back and check. And just, I'll keep coming back for as long as I need to. Your job is to stay in bed and let your body and your brain do what it knows how to do. And I'm just going to come back in and check. This technique has been very, very successful. And one of the things that I think makes it successful compared to some of the other things that I hear all the time, like you're going to sit, you're going to get out of the bed and you're going to sit in the chair and then you're going to move the chair another two feet toward the door and then you're going to move the chair another two feet toward the door and then you're going to sit outside the bedroom door in the chair. All of that will go very well because your child wants to be able to hear you and or see you. As soon as you try and make that next step, so you're going to go downstairs and do the dishes or you're going to go into your own bedroom, they're going to reject that. That's going to be the place where they're going to say, nope, all bets are off. So you see, you think you're making progress. We're going from two feet to four feet to outside the door. You're not really making all that much progress because they're still keeping an eye on you and they can hear you and know you're there. So you want to set it up that you're going to come back and check so that they know that you're still around, that that they know that you are checking in on them, that they don't feel abandoned. They feel loved and cared about. That's what we want our little people to feel. And then being able to let her stay in her bed and initiate sleep herself. If she gets up during the night and comes into the bed, if you wake up, you got to take her back into the bed and you've got to do the same process. The problem with little kids sometimes is they learn how to get up and sneak into the bed and they're very stealth. And so you don't know that they're there. In which case, so be it. That's not the end of the world unless they're 13 years old. But The problem you're talking about, this mom is talking about, is that she's not getting enough sleep and that she's waking up her older sister in the bed. You want to do the front loading, I call it, so she knows what the plan is. And then the other thing that you can do with kids, this is not a problem at all with little kids, is have them have things in their bed that if they wake up, that they can occupy themselves. So it's totally fine if you're trying to get a kid to learn how to stay in their bed and sleep in their bed and not wake up the whole family. It is okay for them to have a little flashlight. It's okay for them to have a little storybook or two. It's okay for them to have a coloring book. Nothing on a screen. You don't wake up and open your iPad. But that's the technique that I would use. And you, you, you have to be patient with it, but the key to this is consistency. So back in bed she goes, back in bed she goes, and you, of course, have to be vanilla ice cream, as tired as you may be. Under normal circumstances, when we have to get up for work or they have to get up for school, don't start doing this on a Tuesday night. 
start doing it on a Friday night so you've got the weekend, so you give yourself a little bit of leeway. But that process, do the front loading, explain the plan, put things for her to occupy herself in her bed, and be consistent, and I think you're going to make some progress. We've added an unabridged version of this bedtime script for you to try at home. You can download it from this episode page on our website, amomsretreat.com. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Most families, even if they have children who have a functional sleep pattern, are just spent 
by bedtime and parents dread the routine. We are completely tapped out of our resources. So to just mm-hmm. try any strategy at that point, I think is is really hard. And I think that parents probably have to make a plan and really commit to it at, the, at, at noon that day that that's what they're going to do that night yep. because 8.30 rolls around and you start making packs with Rumpelstiltskin just to get sleep. And and I think I think that's a very good point you bring up, Robin, is that if if you have two parents in the home and if you can support each other through this, it's really, really helpful. So when you come up with a plan, make sure that both of you agree to the plan because you are going to get nowhere if one parent has one idea about how it's going to go and the other parent has the other idea about how it's going to go. Sometimes I've had families say, you know, I had one parent say, I, ca- I cannot do this. And so I have to hand it over to the other parent and I'm just going to go in. I I just can't be a part of this because I'm going to screw it up. I just don't have the wherewithal or the patience at 830 at night to deal with this. And that was just an agreement they made and it worked out fine. My friend, uh, Christine, she had the fruit scale and she would let her kids know where she was on the fruit scale based on how much energy she had as a mom at the end of the day. And the fruit scale also was dependent upon whether or not they were cooperative. So when it was time to go into bed and they wanted to have their stories read and they wanted her to use her great voices and to be really into reading the story, if they had taken a really long time or if they had not cooperated, she would say she was like at a grape on the mommy fruit scale. And then she would read the book really flat. She'd be like, and then we were, and they'd be like, mommy, mommy, you're, you're not doing the characters correctly. And she would say, I know, but it, it took us so long to get to this point that, that I, I'm a grape on the fruit scale. And then, and then they, you know, maybe she would get back up to a cantaloupe and, and, and when things went well, she was a watermelon. So it really is fine to let your kids know like that mom was doing with her older kids, but it's okay to let your little kids know too. I used to say to my kids, I am really low on mommy gas, right? I am just about empty. So if you want me to be able to do this with you at bedtime, we better get to work because I'm about out of gas. It's really okay to let kids know, to be to be real with them in a way that, that lets them understand that you're a human being and this is not going to go on until 11 o'clock at night. The reason bedtime is hard is because it's at the end of the day. So the other issue that comes up a lot with bedtime, and it's certainly coming up a lot now during this pandemic, is dealing with teens and bedtime and how much sleep they should get and whether or not we should let them stay up later when they don't have to get up early for school and whether or not we should let them be able to be, or they should be able to be on screens more than usual because of what's going on now. And so we really have to be a little bit more flexible with that, I think. But that said, it is important for you to have discussions with your teens about what your boundaries are and what their responsibilities are for getting enough sleep. So being able, somebody said to me, well, what's, what's the right bedtime for a teen to get up? And somebody asked me in a webinar I was doing the other day, how, when should we make sure our teens are awake in the morning? What's the time they should get out of bed? I'm not going to be that rigid about that, but I do think that you should pay attention with your teens. I don't think that any teenager at this point should be staying up until two or three or four in the morning and then sleeping until 12 or one in the afternoon. That to me, because the reason that I don't think that's a good idea is because 
We are diurnal creatures. We're not nocturnal. And when you stay up all night and sleep well into the day, our brains get screwed up in terms of the the signaling of light and sunshine and all of that stuff. So make it reasonable. If they are going, we want them to get at least eight hours of sleep a night. And some would say even nine or 10. It's okay if they're going to bed at 10 or 11 or 12, I think, as a teenager during all of this, because they don't, most of them don't have to get up at six o'clock for school anymore. But make sure that you have a discussion with them about being up in the morning. And if you want me to give you a number, I'll give you a number. I think that if a teen is going to school, if they're participating in online schooling during this time, during the week, I think they should be up by nine. Most schools are requiring kids to engage in something before those hours. But I think that's a reasonable a reasonable schedule for a teenager to be on. I also have pretty strong feelings about, particularly with younger teens, so if we're talking about definitely like 11, 12, 13, 14, but even into 15, is is having phones in their bedrooms. The research is pretty clear, and I've, I've talked about this a gazillion times. The research is pretty clear that when we have our phones in our rooms, it interrupts our sleep. Even when the phone is turned off, there is a part of our brain that's paying attention because we've gotten kind of attentive and, and even addicted to, to listening to notifications and sounds coming in on our phone. So talk to them about removing the phones from their bedroom. Some of you are listening and you're saying like, oh my God, that is going to be World War III in my house during this time. If I tell them that they can't have their phones in their bedroom, negotiate, have a discussion. Don't come in as the authoritarian and start laying down the law, particularly if you've never laid down the law before. This is this is the price you are going to pay now, is that you gave your kid a phone at 12 and she's got it in her room. Now at 15, you can't go in and say, all right, new sheriff in town. Have a discussion about it and work through it. What age should a teenager be in charge of their sleep schedule? Again, weird times now because we don't have this requirement of getting up in the morning. But I would say by the time that they are heading into their senior year in high school, that you're going to give them the autonomy to determine when they need to be to bed. One of the things that's really important at the other end of that is they have to be responsible for getting themselves up in the morning. By the time that they are Uh, even earlier than this, by the time that they're like 15, at least by 15, I really feel like they should be capable of waking themselves up in the morning, getting themselves out of bed without you being the human alarm and the human snooze button. So one of the deals that you can cut with a teenager is if you're going to be in charge of putting yourself to bed, and then you're also going to be in charge of getting yourself up and that you need to be up by, you know, say you decide as a family, you need to be up by nine or 10 or whatever, based on this pandemic stuff. It's different when school's in session, of course. And then hold them to that and have conversations with them so they can negotiate that with you. Because letting kids stay up till three in the morning and sleep till noon, as we were talking about in the fourth episode, was it Robin, about getting back to the new normal, that is not going to go well when things, when we start to resume a more a more regular schedule. These habits are going to make it harder for us as we transition back to structure. Mm -hmm. So it's important to still keep some. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. 
Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're aiming more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. What do you say to the parents who discover that their teenager is still up at 2 a.m. when they went up to go to the bathroom or something or, you know, they notice that and they're, they're, you know, still too young for that. They're 11, 12, 13, 14 do you feel like you can say anything to because you can't make someone go to sleep once they're that age, right. can you? No, you can't. You can't make anybody go to sleep. You can't make them go to sleep. I think that then here's what I would do with that. And, and I've, I've been in this situation, actually. I wouldn't say anything at the time. So if you get up to go to the bathroom, I wouldn't say anything at night. Two in the morning is not the time when you want to get into a battle with your child. So make a note of it, go back to sleep, and then the next day say, I saw that you were up at two in the morning. That doesn't work. That's not a reasonable bedtime. I always use metaphors and analogies, just as just as if you were a little kid and I woke up and you were sitting out on the front lawn at midnight, I would also decide that that was not an appropriate thing to be happening. So let's figure out how we can come up with a way that you can turn off your light at a reasonable hour and then wake up at a reasonable hour. And again, if the phone is the issue, which if you've got a 15-year-old who's up at two in the morning, it's generally because they're on their phone. But most of the time, I would say 90% of the time these days, if you've got a kid up to the wee hours of the morning, it's because they're on a device. So have that conversation with them. Just don't have it at two in the morning. There are a couple of things I've heard for other families who have uh, teenage children that have managed their screens well. Uh, I know one family that has several children and they have a charging station downstairs. Everyone's laptops and phones go there overnight in order to get charged. And that creates 
creates a habit where phones don't go upstairs. Um, that's worked. And then in our household, I've referenced before, we have an, a Wi-Fi control. So mm-hmm. uh, Wi-Fi simply goes off on devices uh, at 10 p.m. And yeah. if we have kids staying up late, they are drawing or reading at least, and they're not on their screens. Yeah, those are great ideas. And and just to just to sort of emphasize, you know, you you as adults, and we'll talk about adult sleep in a moment. But adults shouldn't have those devices in their rooms either. And I know that's hard. If if you are having trouble sleeping, and that's one of the things too, is that if I have my, I don't have my phone in my room very often. But I think if you're having difficulty sleeping, you've got to pay attention to the impact the devices have. I love that family charger station, so though that's a really good idea. I think the trick right now, I, I wouldn't say that having a device as an adult in my bedroom had been a problem before. Mm-hmm. I would say that the danger right now is if you wake up in the middle of the night or before you go to bed, we have to be particularly sensitive about the news right now. Yes. And that actually reminds me of the other listener question that you might want to talk about where uh, one of the listeners has a fourth grader who's suddenly listening to the news 24-7 and before wasn't a news consumer. And so there are lots of night wakings. And I have a feeling you have a lot to say about that. Yeah. And I have a feeling that you're no, that everyone knows what I'm going to say about it too. Because at this point, we really have to make sure that our kids aren't overexposed to the news. I, I feel like the news falls into a few categories right now. It's either redundant. So we've heard all this before. It's contradictory. And then every once in a while, they throw in something alarming. And so kids are having a really hard time processing all of the stuff that's going on. Uh, we're having a hard time processing it. And here we go back to this whole managing uncertainty. If your kids are marinating in current media and the news, if you're talking about it, just like Robin was saying that people are having weird dreams, kids are absorbing all of this and it is impacting their sleep. Their routines are pretty messed up right now because of all that's going on. They're missing their friends. They're worrying about what they're going to do this summer. All of that really makes nighttime wakening much more likely. So mom, I wouldn't be worried that he's waking up in the night as sort of like, oh, what's wrong with him? It's again, one of these situations where that's a response that is a normal and expected response in an abnormal situation, but cut off the news and pay attention to what you're listening to and what he's hearing. Give him a break from this so his little brain can shut down and not have to be processing all of this grown-up information when he's supposed to be sleeping. I think the crabbiness, the negative attitude, I think all of that just has to do with the fact that they don't really know which end is up right now. So talk to him about it. Make sure it, it the other thing too is that if if this little guy, a fourth grader, is not active right now, bump up the physical activity. So make sure that he's outside, make sure that he's moving around so that he's physically tired. That's gonna calm his brain down too. But get get him away from the media as much as possible and get you away from the media too. There's really no reason for you or for him or for any of the kids in your family to have to stay abreast of all of the minutiae of what's going on. 
I do think the way to sort of help frame current events positively is to take advantage of the positive stories and Mm -hmm. be conscious of sharing those with your kids who are old enough to understand what's going on. And then we love some good news with John Krasinski. I know. Isn't that so good? He's so great. And it's just making us laugh. It's just continuing to bring humor and joy. And I love that idea of you talking about what science is doing, how people are being creative, how people are helping each other. I think at this point, it's getting hard. I think we are moving into this angry, irritated phase. So remember, we were in the anxious, panicky phase, and then we were in kind of the depressed, like, phase. And I think now that, you know, like there's this restlessness. So you're exactly right, is that we want to keep modeling for our kids that there are people doing good work, there are people thinking and creating and keeping that positive energy flowing because it's so easy to go down the other path. So just in the few minutes we have left, I've gotten some questions about adult sleep issues, and I can certainly talk a lot about this, but let me just give you quickly my go-to strategy for falling asleep, particularly if you wake up in the middle of the night and your brain starts going. That's called ruminating. And, And what happens if you have difficulty falling asleep Uh, at at first at night, um, that tends to be more anxiety related. It's because you get into bed and things are quiet and you start doing some problem solving at a time when you don't really need to do problem solving, or you start ruminating about things that happened, not the time to do it. What we want to do is you want to keep your brain, your cognitive functioning just busy enough so that as I was saying with the little kids, your brain and your body can do what it knows how to do. Because you know how to fall asleep. You don't have to teach yourself how to fall asleep. So the ABC game, you pick a topic. It might be dog breeds. It might be cities in the United States. It might be Harry Potter characters. It might be professional baseball players. And you just go through the alphabet. So if we do dog breeds, A, Alaskan Malamute, B, Basset Hound, C, Collie. And you just move through the alphabet. If you get to a letter that you can't think of anything, You spend about three to five seconds trying to come up with something, and then you just move on. And your brain, the the cool thing about it is your brain is busy enough, you can't really ruminate when you're trying to come up with a dog that begins with the letter F, so it's enough to keep you busy. And the other thing that happens, and this is what happens to me, it'll happen to you, is that your brain begins to associate the ABC game with falling asleep. So what happens to me at this point is that I come up with a topic and then I fall asleep. I never even get to the letter A. You can also start with the letter. You can also start with the letter M if you want. Um, you know, if you get sick of starting with it, it doesn't matter what letter you start with. If you finish the alphabet and you're still awake, just start over. You just let your body do what it needs to do while your brain gets a little used to it. Yeah, it's really, I, I have, this is funny, you know, when I do sleep tapes for people and recordings, I, I always start my recordings and I always say, so say I was doing one for you, Robin. I say, okay, Robin. And I had somebody who said, all they had to do was hear me say, okay, Robin, and <laughs> fall asleep. So it does become this Pavlovian thing. Your body knows what to do. Let's just get your busy brain out of the way. We have come to the end of another episode, and here we are still in the pandemic. I think there's going to be some interesting and confusing times ahead as we sort all this out. So remember, worriers, worry loves to zoom into the future. 
It loves to go way far ahead and try and answer questions and create certainty and tell stories. No need to do that right now. Pull it back. Stay here as much as you can. As always, Robin and I want these podcasts to be filled with opportunities for you to both learn things, to feel validated as parents, because we know it's such a hard job in the best of circumstances. And for you to remember that this is not about perfection, it's about connection. So use these moments listening to this as your own retreat and certainly take care of yourself as you go through your your busy days with your kids. Please join the Facebook group for the podcast if you want to submit topics for us to discuss in future episodes. Make sure that you share this podcast with any parenting groups. And for all parents who are approaching bedtime again tonight, just remember that there are several other parents right there with you struggling for their vanilla ice cream face. It's so true. Just trying to get some sleep too. You're not alone. We're all there with you as the sun goes down. Don't forget your sleep script on the website. Thanks for being with us. Nice to see you. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin. Bye, everybody. Now close your eyes and sleep. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.